So I'm starting a teaching that we call um, Your Blessed Life Now. And let me read some scripture verses here. Ephesians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, so this is past tense, with every, not with some, we're not with a few, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly in Christ. When the Bible says the heavenly, it's not talking about some celestial planet, it's talking about where God is, where God is the source. The heavenly is God-sourced. And so we have preached on this verse many times, but I just quoted quickly here. It, it basically says that all the blessing we have look, looking for, a lot of people look, I, I want to be blessed. It actually has already been given to us. We have received it. Not that we've gone into So we, I, I never ask God to bless me. I always thank Him that He has blessed me. Uh, because once I saw this, I couldn't go back. I said, thank you, Lord, that I'm blessed coming and going. No matter what my circumstances look like, I'm blessed because of Christ Jesus. And then that, that becomes my modus operandi. From there, I step forward to receive. Then another key verse again, I'm not going to preach on this, but we have quoted it many times, Galatians 3, 14, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles. Gentiles, they're us. So Abraham is this archetype of a blessed person. It says he was blessed in friendship with God. He was blessed in cattle and silver and gold. He was, said he was blessed in everything, spiritually, materially, every which way. And so he is kind of a, a model put forth for us. And it says here, because of Jesus, whatever blessing we read about this man, Abraham, it's ours. Everybody say, it's mine. And so what does the blessing mean? You can study all the Greek and Hebrew words, but I'm going to make it simple. This is not Bible school. We are having Sunday morning worship. That the blessing are favorable words and actions from God to us. So the blessed life, I put it like this. You can see it on the screen. A blessed life is walking according to the favorable words and actions from God on our behalf. God has spoken favorably on your behalf. That would be a good time to smile and say, that's good news. But he's not only spoken, he has acted favorably through Christ and what Christ did on your behalf. And so a blessed life, it, it, it is there. You have a blessed life, but the operative word here is now. My whole focus in this series will be on the now. You have a blessed life. Maybe you don't know it. Maybe you haven't experienced it. But God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So you have that. But the blessed life now is walking in that which God has favored us with by his word and by his actions. Amen. And so my whole teaching over these Sundays, it'll be a month from now, I'll teach on it again, and we'll pick it here and there. It's going to be now. Now. It's for today. You know, we heard a beautiful illustration, I think, last weekend. Uh, some of our guests said to us, you know, it's like you have an ocean above your head, an ocean of water, and then you have pipes tapping into that ocean, and then you have a tap. Now, you can stand under that tap, and you can have like a gusher all the time, 24-7, or you can just have drip, drip, drip. You can complain and say, well, it's not enough water. Well, it's about turning the tap. 
because there's no limit on the supply. That's the way it is with what the blessed life that God has provided. It's like an ocean. But we can have to, it, it hit our head like drip. That all I got? Drip. Or we can just turn on the tap. So all the things I'm sharing is about turning on the tap, stepping in. And, you know, and we need it especially now because we've been so shut in. We, you know, we used to talk about old people being shut-ins. We have had two and a half years of people, young people being shut-ins. Pray for the shut-ins. Well, people have been shut in. It's time to step out. Can I hear a yes to that? So I want to give you some of the, every Sunday I'll give you, today I'll give you a couple of them. I say our response the response is, first things first. And another way to say it is, it's a very powerful principle. Put God first. What, is, what does that mean? Well, it, it's, a, it's a universal truth that goes as far back as you can. Well, what does it mean to us today? Well, it's described in types and shadows, for example, in the, in the Old Covenant. Let me read some of the verses, and then we'll talk about it. For example, in Exodus 13:2, God says to the people of Israel, Devote to me every firstborn, the firstborn of every womb among the sons of Israel, among people and animals alike. It belongs to me. God says, whatever comes first, I want that. Now, to those people, it was a law. They had to do it. To us, it's not a law. To us, it's an opportunity. We have an opportunity to step into it. Then it says, a few verses later, devote to the Lord every firstborn of a womb and every firstborn of animals. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And every firstborn among you you shall uh, you redeem also with a lamb. And so that's interesting here. So it says, you basically, the options were you were firstborn, either you were redeemed or you were sacrificed to the Lord. No other options. Everybody say the firstborn. That means the first. And you know, it's interesting if you leave that verse up there, you see it mentions a donkey. Do you know in, in, the, in the Jewish thinking, the donkey was an unclean animal? And I guess the lamb was pure, but the donkey was unclean. I guess it kind of carries through. Sometimes I've heard people say to another person who acts a bit stupid, don't be a donkey. I never hear someone say, don't be a lamb. You know, they say, don't be a donkey. You talk about stubborn as a donkey. You don't say stubborn as a lamb. You know, it's kind of a, there's something about the donkey. And here's a beautiful picture. Because, it, don't get offended, I'm included. It's like in the, in the illustration here, we are all the donkeys. Look at your neighbor and says, don't walk out. Don't be offended because he includes himself. We are all the donkeys. Look at that. We're all those stubborn donkeys who act like a donkey sometimes. But even in the Old Testament, they said, well, when the firstborn of the donkey comes, then it's redeemed with a lamb. And that makes me think of John 1, 29, where John the Baptist says, you know, I see Jesus and I see the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you have this pictured here. See, see, you can say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes the place of all the donkeys. Hallelujah. And the donkeys can go free. The donkeys can rejoice. My sins are forgiven. So in that sense, Jesus is the firstborn. He's the firstborn Lamb. He is clean and spotless. His blood was shed as redemption. And, and, and it, well, you say, this is Old Testament. Well, I, I cover it up with New Testament scriptures. Look at this. Uh, Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
You could say, while we were still donkeys. God showed his love. He sent the firstborn. He sent his son as the firstborn, even while we were still sinners. You know, that took faith. It took faith. God sent Jesus as a firstborn offering for the sins of the world. And and nobody had repented yet. Nobody had said, yes, I'm coming to Jesus. Nobody had received it. And and so Jesus there is our prototype. It says in, in, in Romans 8, 29, that he might be the firstborn among many. You know, the firstborn means the prototype. You know, when they build a new car, they build a prototype of that car. And that first car takes a lot of beating. They have crash tests and they do all things. But all the other cars, they don't have crash tests. The ones that come later. Jesus took all the heat. He went in the boxing ring with the devil and evil, and he won an eternal victory. Thank God you and I didn't have to go into that boxing ring. We would have been knocked flat on our, on our backs. But Jesus went in there for us, and he won the victory. Oh, thank God. He's the firstborn, and we follow in his, we are in his windraft. This is the blessed life. We are in his wind wrap. We, we're, we're walking with him. So you could say, and I put it here because it's so powerful. I wanted to put it in my own words. Jesus Christ was God's first fruit offering, firstborn. And then I put, God gave Jesus Christ in expectation of a harvest. Even Jesus, when he went to the cross, it says in the book of Hebrews, he endured the shame. He put up with all the blood and the gore. Why? Because he saw the harvest. He rejoiced at he, what, what he was seeing. He was seeing you and me and millions and billions of others who would have new life because of the pain and, what, and the suffering that he went through on our behalf, taking our sin and guilt and shame. Oh, this is so beautiful. That's the gospel. That's why, you know, we, we say sometimes, whatever of the first in our life, whatever, is, whatever the first in our life that we give to God, Put God first. We'll never lose it. But I think many have found that whatever comes first, whatever is first, and we hoard it for ourselves, we end up losing it. You know, Jesus kind of taught about that. He said, whoever will lose his life, lay down his life for my sake and the gospels, he'll get it back. But whoever tries to just hold on to his life and say, no, I'm not going to give her this up. It's, no, no, you end up losing it anyhow. Jesus said, you lose it. Well, that brings our thought to the scripture verse, and I'm giving you a lot of scriptures, but I know you are smart. You can handle it. Look at, look at Matthew 6, 32. It talks about all the things the Gentiles seek after. It says, Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. You know, we are all interested in things. I know you ladies, you want certain things, but men, you want certain things. For example, we, we had to get a new couch. I didn't think we needed a couch, even though when I sat on it, it kind of made noises, you know, it kind of sounded, look, it's been doing that for a year. I said, oh, Tiny, it's good for another 10 years. But, but she wanted the couch. She wanted things. I, I said, oh, come on, it's all right. It's all right. It's sagging a little bit here to the left, and I have to kind of make sure I don't get a kinked neck or back when I was, but it's all right. But hallelujah, yesterday, Tina was so happy. She was, I could tell she was extra happy for several days because she knew the couch was coming yesterday. And I, and I said to her, I said, yesterday morning, I'm still grieving because of that thing. I said, the old couch, you know, it's a good couch. 
She said, Peter, you got to get real. Are you with me? So, but, but then, so that's kind of, you know, women maybe are interested in certain things, men are not, but you know, it, it overlaps because it can go in either direction. I'm just saying, how many want some things? Okay, you are too humble right now. You, you're not even telling. How many like to have some things? You, you're inter- come on, lift your hand. Wave. Come on, let's, let's not fool around. We come out Sunday morning not to play games, you know. So it says here, Gentiles eagerly seek these things. But then it says, God doesn't say, well, stop seeking those things. You're just, you're just not going to get anything. No, it says, your heavenly Father knows that you need, is the verse there, knows you need all these things. Your heavenly Father knows. And on this occasion, he sided with Tina. Oh, it was so wonderful. We sat on the couch yesterday. But then Jesus says, and here is for us who are believers, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given or provided to you. So it's not that God is against things. Some people make God says, oh, you can't talk about those things. That's materialistic. No, no, God knows you have, your heavenly father knows the things you need. But he says, here's a little truth for you. If you, if you just bring into the new covenant, this old covenant uh, principle of the first fruit and the firstborn, he, he says, if you'll seek first God's kingdom, what does that mean? Oh, it says really Christ's kingdom, his kingdom. It means that Jesus Christ is king. He has won the victory. I'm aligning my life with the king of kings. I don't see myself defeated. I don't see myself downtrodden. I see myself, no matter what my circumstance, I choose to see myself aligned with the king of kings. And he and I together are an unbeatable team. I'm seeking for that and his righteousness, not my own. I'm not trying to make myself look good on the outside, but I'm resting in his righteousness. He says, something will happen. The things that you need and the Heavenly Father knew about, it'll come to you. To some people, this is scary because it means prioritizing. It means faith. But seek first. You know, it said here, we read earlier, take the firstborn. You know, it would be easier if God says, wait till the ewe has 10 lambs and then you can give the last one. Kind of be easy, wouldn't it? So, well, I got nine left. But it says here, there's something powerful in the firstborn. It says, and we could, we could read about this. And here's a principle. Let me say this first as well. You know, putting God first. The other, the other day, I think it was yesterday morning, we were up having a morning coffee. And I was sitting there thinking, Peter, are you putting God first in your life? I just kind of saying, I'm thinking. Am I putting God first? And I was meditating on that. I was trying to be self-critical. and saying, am I putting God first? I was thinking, you know, in the times of testing in my life, that it has been difficult, but also easy. In times of testing, it may have been harder to put Jesus first and say, I'm going to stick with Jesus. But on the other hand, when you really test, you kind of, you kind of have to make that choice. You know, am I going to stick with Jesus or not? But when things are not so difficult at the moment, we all have daily little tests, but I mean, it's kind of going smooth. Then you have to stop and think. And I said, you know, I think I, think I am. I, I, maybe I could do more, but I think, I think in the decisions we make, and then all of a sudden, Tina's sitting there, she's reading the news or something, and I said, hey, I have a question for you. 
is Jesus first in your life? She's like, what? What are you saying about? I, I, I'm, I don't know what she was doing. Maybe she was playing Sudoku. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if she wasn't. She was reading the news. I said, what, what? I said is Jesus first? She was, I think she started to think. And she said, I, I think so, yeah. So, so that's, that, I'm not saying we couldn't do better, but I'm saying to you, think about it. And sometimes I realize when I went through my biggest tests, I kind of know I'm holding on to Jesus because the, the temptation might have been to quit. But even in everyday life, everybody say God is number one. So, so here's the truth. The first portion is given to God in faith that the remaining portions are redeemed. That's a powerful truth. And, 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 and in the old covenant, that was by law. For us, it's by opportunity and by faith. For example, in Romans eleven six 6, it says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So there you have that. When you are saying in, in, in the Old Testament, they said, I'm going to give the first, first to God, and then the rest is affected. For us, we know that all things belong to us to Christ, but it's a declaration of faith. First things first. I've tried to live by that. I've been aware of that. And you know, it applies. For example, right now, according to our church calendar, or not just even the secular calendar, most calendars, today is the first day of the week. You know, to many people, Sunday is not the first day of the week. Monday is. They think, oh, Monday morning, I'm going to sit down and plan for the week, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some sales call. I'm going to make this happen. So to many people, Monday is the first day. To some people, Friday is the first day of the week. They say, ooh, Friday, the weekend is coming. And it's like, ooh, this is, I live for Friday and Saturday and Sunday. I do whatever. And then, oh, yeah, the rest. But, but to us as believers, this is the first day. This is where it starts. Now, I have things. In fact, I have about four things on my agenda tomorrow. I don't even want to think about them because that's tomorrow on the second day. But on the first day, I'm here. I'm so glad to be here to worship with Jesus Christ together with you. We are here, first of all, because the early believers, they, they met on the first day because Jesus rose on the first day. So that was the factor that changed the whole calendar. The Jewish people had taken the seventh day, but the church changed to the first day because Jesus was risen. And then they gathered on the first day. And there's something powerful. I'm saying, Jesus, I'm here, and I understand I'm not bargaining with Jesus. He has blessed my whole life. But I'm saying I want to be here also to demonstrate and say, Jesus, I believe you're with me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You're with me every day, and I'm here. One of the things I'm doing here, I'm meeting friends. I'm shaking hands. I'm listening to singing, and I'm having a good time. But I'm also saying, Jesus, if Sunday is holy, the whole thing is holy. If you're my Lord on Sunday, you are Lord of the whole thing. Amen. Are you with me in this? And so it applies to try education. Don't take this as a legalistic thing. I don't mean it like that. But, you know, we say to people, we're starting World Impact Bible Institute. I've told people this for years. Even if you say, I'm never going to be a preacher. I'm never going to be a missionary. I'm going into business. Maybe you could take one year. Just to say, I want to study one year at World Impact Bible Institute. Just it's kind of a year's about eight months, because you'll get so grounded. You'll have such a uh, such a rooted understanding. It could in your career. You say, I'm going to move here. I'm going to do this. No, talk to God. Say, God, give me peace in my heart. 
Jesus, you're number one in our commitment. It says in, in Exodus 23, 19, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Wow, first of the first. This is the first of the first. Wow, there's a real emphasis on first. And you bring it into the house of the Lord. To us, the house of the Lord is not a building like this. We are not participating in sacramental religion. You know, sacramental religion is all religion. They believe that there's certain power attached to material matter, such as buildings. So they would believe that if we say we dedicate this physical building to the Lord, they think there's some divine power resting in these bricks. Many religions are like that. Some of you come from those kind of religions. We don't think that. The house of the Lord is a house of living stones. It's us as a spiritual body coming together. But thank God in this weather, we have a building. How many are glad for that? I wouldn't want to sit in the parking lot because you wouldn't be able to listen to me. So thank God. But the building is not a sacrament. No, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Oh, praise God for that. And so, and so that, that's why we say we were concerned about the building. And in our case, this building called the Toronto Celebration Church. Now, lots of verses of this. Honor the Lord, Proverbs 23. Honor the Lord with your possession and with your first fruits of your increase. First fruits. The first. So your barns will be filled with plenty. And your vats will overflow with new wine. Well, you know, don't, don't worry about barns and vats because you don't have that. But the Bible was written to agricultural folks. So you may say, uh, my, my digital wallet. Or you may say, my actual wallet. Or you may say, my refrigerator. I, I just, there's something about bringing the first to the Lord. And see, there's a difference. Let, let me draw a distinction here between a, a religious law and a universal divine law or principle. I think I have that wording on the screen there for you. You know, for the people of Israel, they had like a religious law. You better. It was like a gun to their head. You better or else the priest is coming to collect. You don't bring those sheep in. They're coming to collect them. We don't have a collection agency in this church or ministry. How many are glad for that? No, this is, this is the new covenant. But what we're dealing with is a universal spiritual law. Because this predates anything that has to do with Moses. I'm not so interested in all the Moses things Moses said because the Bible says the law of Moses was for a limited time. I like to go back before that and see these universal things like prayer and worship and giving to God and what Abraham did. So let me give you one here. I think you'll catch something. How many are ready to catch something? This is a familiar story that has troubled many. It's about two brothers and the one in the end ended up murdering the other. Look what it says here in Genesis 4 verse 3. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. That's nice. He brought an offering. And he says, Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. But then it says, the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. He got mad. He said, what's wrong with my offering? And in the end, he murdered his brother. Now, people say, try to grapple with what that happened. Pay attention to the verse. Let's go back to the beginning of the verse. There's some wording here that I think if we understand the enormous emphasis in Scripture on the first, 
put first things first. It is a way that I respond to the ocean of blessing over my head and turn the tap on. It says in the process of time, it came to pass. That means that Cain brought an offering. What does that mean? Well, he was working, you know, he was planting seed and he was reaping a harvest and, you know, he was maybe doing that. We don't know how long, maybe several years. And then in the process of time, a while later, he says, well, you know, maybe I should give something to God. I guess God created the soil and he causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall. So it's just kind of in the process of time when he had everything secured, you know, it came to pass. It was kind of down the line. He said, well, maybe, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should give something to God. I mean, it, it make me look good too. You know, if I give something, I don't want to be a total pagan. But then Abel, it says, he brought of the firstborn. He didn't wait till he had 10 little lambs. He took the first one. Now, it doesn't matter the way we give. You know what? Whatever way you give, you know what we're going to do with your check? We're going to cash it and put it into the gospel. Can I hear an amen to that? We're not going to say, here's first fruit. This is down the line fruit. But for us, for me, this has become a revelation, and we try to practice that. I, I don't want to just say, well, you know, when everything's going well, and, you know, if I had some money left over after I paid for the hydro, and I paid the, the water bill, and I paid the electricity, and I paid the natural gas, and I paid everything else, then, you know, if I have something. No, I'm going to say, you know, faith. Abel had faith. He said, I'm going to give the first. There was no faith involved for Cain. It was, it was down the line. You know, it's about a hard attitude. It's like Abraham demonstrated that. You know, here's what I found. That when God is first, first. Everybody say, numero uno. First. It seems everything else comes into order. But when God is not first, it seems like everything else gets into disorder. It's like, I, I can't even explain it. I have watched for over 40 years this principle. And it, it comes into disorder. And so when we talk about, for example, tithing, Pastor Nathan mentioned it, tithes and offerings. People say, what's tithing? Oh, it's giving one-tenth to the Lord. Well, you know, we're not telling people that you have to do that. But I'm saying strictly that's not the definition of tithing. Tithing is the first. The first. Because it takes faith. I'm not saying, please don't understand. I'm not mandating you. But I found myself, it's so great. April is coming. Let's, if I could tithe for April in, in March. Some of you looking at me right now. So when I'm, I'm not there, well, maybe one week, maybe one day. It's just a blessing. To, and, and then I say, well, what if God prospers me more? Well, then I'll make it up as it goes. But at least I'm expecting something. You know, faith is a walk where you do what's, you, you don't have it. You don't have the other lambs. You don't know. Abel didn't have 200 sheep and 300 cows and 500 goats. You know, he, he just said, the very first, I'm just going to give it to God. Because if I, by, by, by that first, then the whole flock is blessed. The whole loot. Is, is this too much for you? Can you handle this? And, 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 you know, our church, I'm so glad for our church. Can I say thank you, for church, family? You know, when we've gone through things like COVID, you know what happens? I've been in church life for over 40 years. Believe me, I know. I've been associated with some of the biggest and strongest churches in the entire world in my, in my lifetime. And I learned one thing. That when th the last thing a church will do 
is give to the world, to bless others far away, give for missions, give for, that's the last. If things are really going good, they might do something. And when things get tough, that's the first thing they cut. You never have them say, oh, let's cut the pastor's salary 20%. That, that'd be good. No, they say, let's, let's, we don't need to be involved in that great commission thing. I'm so glad for our church family. Are you ready to clap for yourself? Not yet. I'm just going to brag a little bit more. Are you ready here? I, I thank God for the giving family. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Don't get too excited right now. But I'm glad for our church family. Much Thank God for our lead pastor, Nathan, who, who, who was just flowing in this. In fact, at times he was encouraging me. I, I, I always want this, but he was encouraging. Thank God that we said, you know what? Let's not do that. Let's go against the grain. Let, let's say we've been giving 10% to reach the world out of all the money that comes in. Let's go for 20%. We did that in COVID. It was really stupid. Can, can I be honest with you? It was stupid. Naturally. In the natural, I said, well, this be the time to kind of batten down the hedges. This is the time to, you know, just kind of hold on, hold on for dear life. It's going to be rough sailing. COVID, we're going through the COVID ocean. Let's hold on. We said, let's believe God. Oh, praise God. That's why we, we gave you this. You know, this, amen. And now, we are stepping up. We're calling this heart for his house. Put, put, put the PowerPoint up. I'm going to get, I got to move fast. I'm talking too long. Heart for his house. Here's what we believe in God for this time. Go, go to the screen there. Uh, go to the next screen. Whatever is the next screen. I gave you two or three here. What we want to do, we want to help pay the cost of running the Toronto Pavilion and the things we need to do here so that the regular tithe can just go to ministry. We want to do more for children. We want to do more in many areas this year in Toronto. Can I hear an amen to that? So if we do some extra going for it, uh, for the building of this, that will put us over the top. Then, did you see, I said, look at the small little class we have in Papua. Do you see that? You know why? Because we know if we even dare to advertise about our school there, we would have 200 students. So, so they said to me, well, we can't advertise. We'll have too many students. But the, the, the teacher said to us, can we start just with 12? Because we get practice. We do a practice year. So I said, okay. Because we, we said, we, we, said we, we want to help you get the building. We want to help you get the facilities. So they're running their school now like a practice year. Just with 12 students right there. Because we don't dare advertise. Because if we advertise, we're going to have an explosion of students coming. There's no place in Indonesia where we have seen such a continual openness. The governors in those provinces are my personal friends. I mean, they come and sit on the platform when I preach. We, we, it will be an explosion, but we had to hold back. And so we're saying this year, this year, I've been talking to them and they say, yeah, it can happen this year. We're going to do it. Come on. Are you happy about that? Our church is there. Then, 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 then support Christians, especially persecuted Christians in Eastern Ukraine. I haven't said much about Ukraine because you know, one thing I know that you can send money here and there and it just get lost in a big uh, swoop of a big bank account and and so I said, I had to do some inquiries. And I'm able to say today, I have inquired because my burden was, especially in those places where now evangelical born-again churches like ours is coming under enormous attack that are occupied by, by Russians. We have found a way in. So we bring the goods and we're going to bring some goods to the border. Then paratroopers, which is kind of not the army, but they're kind of tough guys. They're going to take it right to the pastors and the pastors will give it to, their, to, to the people who have lost houses, who don't have food. And they're going to send us the receipt and pictures so we see exactly how many are glad for that. So we're going to help out in that. What, what else are we doing? What else? You say, well, then we want to, we, we'll 
launching We Be Toronto. We need some more tech stuff. We need to be up to date, you know, for, for a school here. And then I thought just to put a cherry on the Sunday, what if we could, in this campaign, uh, provide follow-up for 50,000 new believers? In fact, right now, we're trying to get for 400,000 new believers, so that would lower it to 350. If our church took care of 50,000, how many think that's concrete? Give the Lord Jesus praise for that. And so we're going to, quickly, quickly, we're going to receive the offering on, on January, uh, not January, June the 5th, all right? And we believe in God. Here's our goal. Put the goal up there. I, I put a victory goal of 280,000, but then I said, that's not good enough. Let's go for an exceedingly abundant goal of 350,000. Give Jesus a big hand for that. All all right. All right. Are you ready for my second point? I'm moving fast like anything right now. Are you with me? So the first one, put God first. Second response is the gift of giving. You know, in Romans 12, there are seven motivational gifts. Let me read very quickly. Having gifts differing according to the grace given to us. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or serving, let us serve. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with generosity, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. There are seven gifts that we call the motivational gifts. In fact, in the, in, in the school, I'm going to be teaching much more detail about this, but just to say, these seven motivations you find among people, we have them here. Prophecy-motivated people, let me, let me describe the kind of person. Maybe you're one of them, or you know somebody. Prophecy-motivated people, they are very concerned with motives and sincerity. Like, do you really mean it? You know, those kind of people. We need those kind of people. How many are glad for those kind of people? They're very concerned that, that everything we say is lined up with Jesus. That's good. Then you have serving motivation. Serving. I love servers. They are the people who, who just want to serve. Uh, they like they like to shovel the driveway. They like to do the garden. They like to bake uh, apple pie. They, they like to, when we have a food Sunday. I love those people. In fact, you know, there's one person in the Bible, her name was Dorcas. She was a server. She was making clothing, weaving for the apostles. So they got so sad when she died, they raised her from the dead. It's one of the few people raised from the dead. She was a server. She wasn't, she wasn't in, in the prophecy motivation. She was a server. She just wanted to take care of everything. Thank God for the servers. Can I have an amen to that? They just, they like to arrange chairs. Then we have teaching motivation. Some people have a teaching motivation. They're very good people. They love to study. They love to research scriptures. They love when we preach up and we start to explain Greek and Hebrew words. Ooh, that, that, that really, that, that, they want to have, you know, a concordance here and a study manual here and three different Bibles and different translations. And they love that. We love those people. Can I hear an amen? Then you have people with a motivation of exhortation. Oh, they're wonderful. They're not so much into study manuals and Greek and Hebrew words. They're just looking for someone who looks sad. Maybe you have a motivation gift of exhortation. You're just looking for somebody who looks depressed this morning. Hey, you go up and say, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I want to exhort you. God is for you. Whatever you're going through, God is bigger. Don't you love people like that? Oh, thank God. We need them all. Isn't that right, Pastor Nathan? Then, then some, said, some have a special gift of giving. Do it liberally. Do it. You don't rush. They don't they give finances, but they give time. They give wisdom. Then you have leading, the ministry of leading and administrating. They kind of take charge. If you were in a, if you were in a, a multiple a car wreck by the road, and three, four cars, and then a few people running around, you'd be the one taking charge. You say, you call 911. You check on the person here. You call the ambulance. You do this. You do this. It's just, you can just see them. I think we have some of those. Can I hear an amen? Then you have the mercy-moded way. Made the one. They, they just want to show mercy. And they say, 
doesn't matter what bad you did. You find a mercy-motivated person, they will say, oh, God will give you a second chance. He'll give you the 100th chance. The prophecy-motivated person will say, well, make sure they're sincere. But the mercy-motivated person will say, oh, God loves you so much. And we can, so we can say, now, the thing about these gifts, and it would take me hours to teach on them, is that some people have two or three that is really strong in their life. You may know, but, I, but we all need all of them. We, we all need to be, have mercy. We all need to, to be, at least be able to teach people how to get saved. Can I hear you? We need to at least teach something, right? And, and so these are beautiful gifts. And, and, and yeah, much to be said about that. But we all have two or three maybe, a lot. But we all need all seven of them. And, and we need to take charge of something, take charge of ourselves. Now, in the Bible, when it comes to giving, you know, there's some big givers in the Bible, like Abraham. He says to Lot, take whatever part of the real estate you want. God is my source. David, poor shepherd boy, he prospers so much that he gives, end up in our, our, our value of money, gives billions of gold to, to build the temple. Paul was a giver. He rejoiced when other people did so well. Giving. So I want to say, uh, some of you say, I, I feel... I just love to see needs met. But we all need to grow in that. Can I hear an amen to that? And so, and so, you know, whenever we talk like this, and we heard about it last weekend, you know, they're business people. You're called to be a marketplace minister. Embrace your calling. You would think, well, Pastor Nathan is called to preach. He's, he's a, he is a, no, you have a calling. You have a calling in your career, in your money, making, in, 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 in you, you, you're called of God. We affirm that, and you affirm that. Stop thinking of yourself as a non-called person. You are called. You believe God. You are a provider for the vision. Oh, come on. Somebody get excited about that. And so I'm going to quickly, quickly here. This is going to be so fast. You hardly, you really have to, don't even take notes. Get the CD because you're going to lose something. I wrote down some characteristics about someone who has the gift of giving, how they think. So I, I put them up quickly. Men and women have the gift of giving. Sometimes in a couple, you'll know which one of you has the most gift of giving. But you, but you just love to meet needs, so you do it together. And I, another thing I found about people who are serious givers to God, they gravitate towards strong vision with clear objectives. Did you see that? Strong vision, clear objectives. Because they want what they do to count. Whatever money they give, whatever time they give, they want it to count. They want results. You know, I've met several people. I know many people who have a gift of giving. We had them in our church. In 1997, I think it was, a man called our office. And he said, I read Peter's book on, on the end time harvest, the people coming to Christ. I want to, I want to give some money. Well, you know, sometimes people call like that. They don't really mean it. So he called a second time. And then uh, he said, do you ever go to Florida? I was just going to preach in Florida. He said, well, I want to be in Florida. Come and see me. So he was in this uh, trailer home in Trailer Park. Nice home, but he was in his primary home, but he was there holidays. I went to see him. Just the most unpretentious person. And, and when he left, he said, I want to give you a check. He wrote me a check for $100,000. That was U.S. dollars, which was good at that time. I said, all right. I said, is this real? Let's take it to the bank. I want to know right away because I've had some who weren't real, you know. It's kind of embarrassing to go and say it was real. Then in the next five years, he probably wrote 20 more checks like that. He just loved it. And he said to me, Peter, you know why I'm giving you so much money? 
He said, I've been giving to all kinds of ministries, but I give more to you than anybody. He said, I said, what? He said, I look at it like if I had racehorses and, and I would put most money in the horse that runs the fastest and is the strongest. I could have been offended if he called me a racehorse. But I understood. I understand people with the gift of giving. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to make me look bad. He was saying, you get more done. You win more people to Christ. You get more people saved than anybody else. So I'm going to put my, my money. He said, you're my Kentucky Derby winner. I wasn't feeling like he was, you know, being bad. I said, I, I understand. He has a gift of giving. Somebody looking at me strange, just tilt your health a little bit. What's he talking about? And, and, and so that, that's, that, that's kind of, people like that can be frugal and generous all at the same time. They kind of want to budget. They want to know what you're doing. But, 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 and, and then it can be frugal. You know, frugal, frugal, frugal. They don't want too many things. <laughs> you know, there has to be urgency. But, but, but they can spend a lot. Are, are you with me? So that's why we like budgets. Come on. I always say, get this cheaper. We're printing for 400,000 new believers. Can we, can we cut 10%? And, and we tell Jacob, contact them. Say the, our missions board, which is Nathan and I and my dog together, we, we say we need a 10% cut. And then they go, oh, we got 10% off. We say, hallelujah. We stretch the money further, and then we pay for it. Are you with me? Oh, come on, don't look like that now. Then appreciation, but not recognition. You know, people with a gift of giving, they want to be appreciated. Can you imagine this week? I, I, they, they call me and says, this lady, she, I had mentioned, I just mentioned it briefly, that we're going to a stadium meeting, and I said, just a stadium rental, and the, and the, and the sound system is about $11,000 a night. We're going to have many nights, but, and somebody had heard me say that, I don't know who it was, just sent $11,000 in, here's for one night. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call that person and say, thank you. No strings attached. I mean, appreciation. That's, you know, I, I kind of have... I'm kind of a giver. I like to give, I, 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 but I like appreciation, but I don't have to be recognized. You don't have to say that I did it. I, I just like to do it. But I like serious. One man came to me and said, he said, I need $80,000. I'm building this and that what, in Philippines. I said, do you have a budget? No, no, budgets don't mean anything. I said, well, what are you going to do? Oh, money means nothing. Just give me the check. I resent that. What do you mean? Well, money means, anybody who is so foolish as to say money means nothing, don't give them one dollar. Because money means something. To me, you know, once you can take care of your own breakfast and lunch and supper and have some clothes to wear and a place to sleep, money is, is, is a tool uh, to, to reach the world for the gospel. So don't tell me it means nothing. It means something. And then, you know, whenever we talk like this, you see, God wants us to know that he is interested in things. He's interested in this. But there's always, when the God wants to show us something, there is a satanic counterfeit. There's, there's trying to, to distort you. And so, you know, I think God wants to show us that he wants to bless you. You're in this church. God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. But there's that counterfeit poison of some hyperactive prosperity, self-centered, and it turns everybody off. But I refuse to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm going to believe God and we're going to prosper, not in a selfish way. You're going to prosper. This church is prospering by the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. It, it, and it's not about control of money, but good stewardship. People like that don't want to control. They want good stewardship. They, and, and I put nothing, they want to invest in stable ministry, not in a sinking ship. You know, some people, if somebody says, oh, our ministry's going under. If you don't help us now, oh, if you don't help us, we're going under. We're shutting the doors. Some people respond to that. Those who have a gift of giving don't respond to that. 
they don't want to be a part of a Band-Aid. They want to have a cure. <laughs> they don't want to support a sinking ship. They want to support something that's stable. That's what I'm telling you. We keep telling you, we're not a sinking ship. We're doing good. But we're going to do even better. Praise God. You know, one time uh, a person came to me, a man came to me and said, he'd been attending the church. And he said, this was years ago. He said, oh, Pastor Peter, I love your preaching. I'm here every service. I love it so much. And I want you to know that I'm a giver. Oh, I said, that's wonderful. But they said, but I don't give to this church. So I said, hold on for a moment. You come here every Sunday? And we had morning and night services, yeah? At that time, he says, I come here every service. I love your preaching. Uh, And I'm a giver, but I don't give anything to this church. Oh, I said, what do you give? Oh, he says, my cousin has a church. But he only has 10 people. And if I don't send my tie there, they're going to have to close the doors. I'm saying, you know, it will probably be a blessing for your cousin to close his doors. Uh, Maybe he's, you know, some people aren't supposed to be doing it. Are you with me? If the church is all about covering the pastor's salary, maybe they should have a home group and be a part of another church. I'm so glad in our church, you kind of get a world. Have you noticed even, I mean, we, we show you stuff. We're doing this in Burma. We're here in Indonesia. We're doing this in Africa. We're here and there and everywhere. And we up with the, that's good for your children. They don't come to church with, oh, we got to help the pastor. The past, the pastor is hurting. No, they, you got to give your kids a church where they get the right idea. We are taking the world. Hallelujah. That was the vision I got in the beginning that TICC wouldn't be like a snow shovel. You know, somebody's shoveling a little snow. And that's how some churches are. They're shoveling a little bit snow, a little bit, you know, a little bit. We are not a, we are not a snow shovel. We're a big plow. We're like a plow coming down the Don Valley Parkway, and we are over here, and we are spraying there, and we are spraying here, and we are, oh, praise God. That's the right, that's what, oh, give Jesus a big hand. Praise God. I have so much to say on this. Okay, forget any PowerPoint. I'm running out of, of, of time here. It, it, it's, it's so much. It's, and, and people who have a gift of giving, don't criticize people who are successful. Somebody said to me, there was one brother in the church, he was prospering, and they said, oh, we should pray for so-and-so. Is he sick? No, we're going to pray that God keeps him humble because he's doing so well in this business. So I said, well, you know, it says that God exalts the humble. Maybe he was already humble already, and God has exalted him. That could be an idea. I said, maybe, I didn't say this because I'm such a nice man, but I had it on the tip of my tongue to say, maybe you should pray that you stay humble. (laughs) <laughs> you know, maybe, anyhow, are you with me? And so we celebrate. We're glad. We're glad that God is blessing you. I'm applauding you. I say, hallelujah. You're a marketplace minister. I thank God for you. Oh, give Jesus praise. Okay, one more verse. I'm almost done here. Are you with me? Are we having a good time this morning? I got You know, when Paul finishes his whole teaching on giving, he finishes with one little tiny verse, and he says this, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Everything he taught about giving is wrapped up in this God. God has given me an indescribable gift. I have become generous because my God, he gave a gift. I can't describe it. I try. I write epistles, Paul would have said, trying to explain it, but it's beyond word what God has done. He loved me in spite of myself. Jesus took my sin. He took every shame. He took every murderous thought out of me. He made me a new creation. It is beyond words. It's fantastic. 
fantastic. It is ooh la la. It is awesome. It is beyond words. And he says, everything I do and teach you about giving is wrapped up in this. God gave an indescribable gift when he gave Jesus Christ. Oh, I want to make sure that you know this, Jesus. That you know that your sins are forgiven. I want to make sure of that. It's awesome. Everybody bow your head for a moment right now. Just go ahead and bow your head. If you say, Peter, I'm not sure that I know Jesus. I came here as a visitor. and You're talking about challenging the church. And that's what I've been talking. This is not our normal Sunday teaching. But once in a while, it's been a couple of years since we talked along this line. But it is super important that you're here. You came. And you heard. And you say, well, I want to receive the forgiveness of sin. I want to receive what Jesus has done for me. Well, then you can turn the tap on. You can receive it. While every head is bowed, if you say, Peter, I want to receive new life. I want to receive the forgiveness of sins. I want to come back. I want to have been drifting. I want to come back. Would you give me a signal by lifting your hand? And I'm not going to call you to the front today. Sometimes I do. But I'm going to include you in this prayer. And we're going to pray it together all over this room. If you say, I want to receive this. I want to know my sins are forgiven. That I have life with God. Lift up your hand way up high. Let me see how many today. God bless you. God bless you. How many others? In the back over here. God bless you. All right. Several of you. Yes. Let's pray together. Would you say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your love, your indescribable love. I receive it now in the name of Jesus. Lord, live in me. I lay down my life and I receive your kingdom, your righteousness in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big praise right now.